Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. After a life-changing experience around my own 40th birthday, I became captivated and curious about how other people deal with turning 40, an age that can come with major life transitions, personal growth, and lessons about ourselves and the people we surround ourselves with. 40 is when we start measuring our lives more by looking forward and how much time we have left than by looking backwards and all the cooler, impressive things we've done. We become more confident in our own inner voice and our own experiences than we are in any external authorities we historically look to for guidance. Today, my guest is Lou Aviera, a guy from New Jersey who has done something extraordinary. He created and became a character that has turned into an icon on the horror scene without ever having been in a movie or TV show. You may not be aware, I wasn't until a couple years ago, that horror-specific conventions take place all over the country. There are dozens of them. They are attended by huge crowds of enthusiastic fans of all things horror. And sure, there are the requisite expo halls you'll find at any convention, and celebrities whose autographs and pictures you can pay for. But more than that, there's a thriving, supportive, vibrant community of fans who love to get together. That's what Lou walked into around 2006 when he attended his first horror con. He fell in love with it and said the next time he attended, he was going to dress up. Two years later, when he walked into his next convention, he walked in as Father Evil. And the rest is, well, let's let Lou tell the story. I'm very, very curious to dig into your story. When was Father Evil born? He was born in the 90s. I would say 94, 95. At that time, I was going through my artsy-fartsy phase, is what I call it. I was hanging out in trendy cafes, like wait, like 10 years before Starbucks was a thing. That's what I was doing. Yep. And it was in in New Brunswick, New Jersey, Rutgers town, you know, so it was a college town. It was, it was hot. It was fresh. And there was this there was this place called Indigo Jones, if I remember correctly. And it was a very trendy coffee spot. And they had artwork from, from all the locals all over it. So I'm like, you know what? I can, I'm going to submit one of mine. My then girlfriend told me to do that. So I did that. And I, I created like this cross between ghastly, priestly looking figure, a cross between the Joker and Reverend Henry Kane from Poltergeist 2. And he had prayer hands. And it said in the back of him, Denomina Pater, it's Billy, it's Billy Fusanti, and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I had cut the, 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 the picture in such a way to make it look like stained glass. And I burned the edges and stuff. And I put it in a frame, like an old parchment. What was it's, the medium? Was this something you painted yeah, no. or drew? No, I drew it. It was the medium was number four Stedler Mars pencil, which is a, basically a, a thicker lead, a number two Stedler Mars pencil, which is a lighter lead, and graphite. And with the tortillon stumps and stuff, I, I was very good at blending. A lot of people don't know I have a very artistic background. I've been drawing since I was a child. Okay. Like, I, I remember in the second grade, I memorized the pattern to draw Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I literally memorized the pattern in my head and I trained my hand to draw it. And I was literally like a human copier machine for my class in second grade. And I literally, like, can you draw me one, Lewis? Sure. Just from memory. I had a talent. So they, you know, they encouraged it and stuff. I, I bought comic books. I was a huge comic book fan, especially the X-Men. Huge fan with Wolverine. Hello. 
We fast forward to the 90s. I came up with this character. Fast forward many years later into the 2000s. I'm married. And I dabbled with the Halloween decorations and stuff, you know, like special effects props. And I was in retail. And then I got into the union, into the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I'm a union guy, electrician, low voltage electrician. I'm a data tech, still doing it. This is slowly taking over this persona. And, well, it took over completely in my mind and it's slowly taking over in my life to the point where it's going to carry us to the next level. I'm this close to getting there. Nice. It's, nice. It's the evolution. Anyway, the, the evolution in of itself was my wife had a girlfriend at the time, still very good friends. Her girlfriend was going to a horror con in Persephone uh, at the time. She's like, oh, Lou loves horror. Oh, let's all go together. So, boom, we all went. And it was in Parsippany, New Jersey. It was Chillet Theater. And it's, it's a very big con in Jersey. Okay. It's one of the three bigger cons in Jersey. So I went there and I fell in love with it. Do you remember what I, year that was? I believe it was 2006 or seven. Okay. So you're in your like mid-30s at that point? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So my mid thirties and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm like, oh my, holy shit. You know, next time I come to one of these, I'm going to come dressed up two years, maybe a year and a half past or whatever. My wife said, you know what? Just do something basic. At that time I was working at Best Buy. I decided, you know what? They call me evil Lou at work because I could make this really evil face. I didn't have my chops as big or more like closer to my face, more like a stylized version of this. Like anyway, uh, so I said, you know, I can make a really evil face. I'm like, you know, what would scare people? What would really, I'm thinking, I was just brainstorming. What would scare people if they saw it in a dark alley? And I'm thinking a clown, you know, a dime a dozen. Vampire, no. Zombie, been there, done that. I'm like, got it. A possessed priest. Because if it can get to a priest, what chance do you have? Ooh. If they could possess a man of the cloth, a pious man, you are powerless. So that was, wasn't planning to do a thing with it. It was going to be a one-time thing, a one-time goof, a gag, whatever. Go to the con, have a good time. That's it. $20 costume from Party City. Still have it. And my wife got me a pair of whiteout contacts. It wasn't even the ones that I use now. Now what I use is mini sclera. But then it was just whiteouts. And I put them on and it looked freaky. And it looked like, yeah, wow, you're not supposed to see that. It had a big, you know, big ass cross on my chest. It was you know, very campy. And people were like, whoa, can I take a picture with you? And this, this, and that, and the other. It didn't hit me till I walked into this one room and it was an, a, an Italian director. I forget. He, he does like, like Giallo st style, like horror type of zombie horrors and stuff in, in Italy, like over the top type of Argento style. So I walked into his area and he was signing autographs. He had a line in about 20 people. And he looks at me for a second. And he does like a triple take, literally a triple take. And he comes over to me. He goes, oh, my God, this is so original. This is so, oh, simple, but to the point, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in a very heavy, thick Italian accent. He's like, this is beautiful. Oh, my God, I never saw this. It's so simple. It's, it's bad, but good, blah, blah, blah. He had this, his assistant producer take pictures of me and i'm like holy shit is it that easy and i'm like wow this is this is a piece of cake but i didn't see what they saw 
a couple of weeks that I saw the pictures and I'm like, wow. But anyway, at that time I looked at my wife and I'm like, did this just happen? Like, maybe I got something here. Right. I ran with it. And here we are. So you started by just going to the conventions as a participant and people would just want to take pictures with you. How long did you do that? So when I started to do something about it, like I started doing the cons more regularly, like around 2010, 2011, 2012, 2012, I decided I was going to take it serious. And I graduated from a $20 costume into my my gown that I still wear to this day. I haven't had it for that long. I have a new one that, I'm, that I've been breaking out, but I still have the very same one that I came out with back in 2012. Not for but, nothing. That was the year you turned 40. Yeah, it was a transition. It was like Phoenix coming out of the out of the ashes. I found myself. Wow. What did it feel like when you finally gave yourself permission to truly <sighs> embody and own this persona? It was a Calgon take me away moment for me. It was ooh la la. It's like sitting in the most relaxing hot tub and you're just relaxing and you get in that breeze. I, I, it's hard to put it, but it's pictured that emotion like there's like, ah, oh, weightlessness and just Zen. So father evil for you is home. Absolutely. More, almost more so than Lou. He's actually taken over. The only people that call me Lou is my wife. And I mean, maybe a handful of people at work and I work in construction. A lot of guys say, yo, father, come here or evil, get evil over here. Who's on the team? Father evil. Who, who's pulling wire with me? Oh, father is get father. You know, you know, they call me evil, get over here, you know? And it's, it's weird. Cause it's kind of funny because you meet a lot of people in construction, mm-hmm. especially we're doing the brand new airport in North and, we're working in there, and a lot of guys that were like from other trades were like, oh, there's over like 3,000 people at this site. They're like, why do they call this guy Father? You know, so they look it up, Father Evil, and they're like, holy shit, dude, that's you? And I'm like, yeah, man. He goes, dude, you do that on the weekends? And how is it? And I explained to them, they're like, it's the, they're like, I'm like, listen, dude, it's literally, I got, you got to speak jive to them. Like, yeah. jive. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm getting paid for Halloween, and I love it. And they're like, yo, that's so cool, bro. I wish I could do something like that. And I'm like, why don't you just do it? That's what I did. And my features, I created the father around my features. So nobody can be him but me. It was an arc. I I created him in such a way that only I can be him. I just want you to know that I, I actually got chills while you were talking just a moment ago, just about you saying he's taking over. You light up when you talk about when you're him or or about him. Why did it take until you were 40 for you to unleash your true inner self? You you want me to be frank? I do. I stopped giving a shit what people thought. Why? Where did that come from? How Uh, how did you decide that you, you didn't give a shit anymore? All my life, I was always trying to, you know, just... Fit in, you know, even with family, especially family. Oh, Louie, you should do this. Or Louie, you should do that. That's what I'm known to to my family. And I was always little Louie, and I'm the youngest of four. And I'm first generation United States. The other three were born in Cuba. So I'm the youngest of four. So I was always, always spoiled little Louie, this, this, and that, and the other, because I was born here. Like, I had a choice, you know? I was right. a, like I was a celebratory baby, because my family got here in 69. I was born in 72 slash 73. 
So that was a party time, you know, during whatever. And boom, hey, I'm here. I didn't plan it. You know, and my parents, they came from absolutely nothing in Cuba. Literally, there was a mattress on a floor, dirt floor. My brother slept in a potato sack and my sisters shared a hammock. Okay. They come here. This is what I heard about their stories in Cuba. My eldest sister also lived with my grandparents because that was a tradition. The eldest lives with the grandparents. So they came here. My grandparents got here. The whole family unit got here because my uncle came here. And I think in the late 40s, he joined the army, became a citizen, fought in Korea, did two years in Germany, doing his, you know, what uh, reserve duties. And then he applied a visa for his family. And that's how we got here. And I was born into that. And, uh, you know, for my entire life, you know, it's like, it was almost like this, these, these things are given to you. Like, like, dude, like I had a choice. Right. And like a little bit like a rough upbringing in my childhood, like a, like some trauma and stuff. All this stuff started building up in my 40s. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of fitting in. I'm going to do what I fucking want to do. I don't care if you like it. It just, I stopped caring. I don't care what you think. It's for me. And what has the fallout been, if any? There was a fallout at first in my family. I remember it was at my sister's house, Miriam. Miriam, Maritza, Eric, and myself. We were all there at Miriam's house for Christmas. And they're like, well, Louie, kind of don't like this father evil thing. It was like an intervention, you know, but it's not, it wasn't planned. But they were like, yeah, you know what? That's not nice. That the other, that's going against God. But we weren't raised like that. And I'm like, you know what, guys? You have every right to feel that way. You really do. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you telling me. But you also have to understand I have every right not to give a shit. I don't care. It's not for you. I'm doing this for me. You don't like it. You don't have to like it. And that is your right. But I'm not doing this for you. And I don't care what you think of me otherwise. You can either accept me or don't. That's on you. That was it. And did they accept it? They hated it at first. And then my brother actually came to one of my cons first. And he saw me in action. He's like, holy shit. I'm actually good at what I, you know, and I was a knucklehead growing up. This is what goes through their head. You know, I was a knucklehead growing up like most kids are. I was pretty bad alcoholic. I still am an alcoholic, but I was a pretty bad drinker until I went sober in 07. Okay. If I didn't go sober, none of this would have been ever been born at all. I would have been drinking, 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 drinking. I had an ultimatum for my wife. I remember she said something to me that hit my core. I'm not going to have a family with a drunk. And it hit me. I'm like, wow. And then I changed. I made a decision. And she's my rock. Yeah, she pushes me every now and then. Even when I start getting lax with Father Evil, she's like, you know, you haven't done a video in a while. You should get downstairs and get doing something. Blah, 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 blah. You should make new content. You need to do this. How about we promote this, this, that, and the other? Okay, I'm like, all right, relax, chill. You know, she's like a foreman that you can't get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) I love that your wife is so supportive and I want to talk about her in a minute, but I want to go back to that conversation you had with your siblings because you're absolutely right that when you decide you don't give a shit and you don't care what other people think, it's easier to consider you don't care about friends and people you work with and people you know, but your nuclear family, that's, that is a tough one. Where did you find the gumption? Where did you find that nugget inside of you that allowed you, that empowered you to talk to them like you did? I embraced my insanity. 
Literally, everybody has an insanity within them. I've always had it with me. That insanity is that dream. Why can't I be like that? Why can't I do this? Why can't I be the next face of horror? Well, who says I have to be in a movie to be famous? I, I can do it, you know, organically, right in front of me. I'm in the movie of your life, and I'm a character in it. Whether you like it or not, when you meet Father Evil, you're in his movie. Whether you like it or not, whether you intend it to or not, I drag you in, and you never forget. I'm an experience. I could say that humbly with 100% assurance because cold contacts are my favorite. Cold contacts are what I call new people. In Texas, a perfect example, 1,800 miles from where I live. I'm popular here. I'm 10 times more popular in Texas because of the new people that come into me and I give them a show. You know, I get into character, I get in their heads. If it's a Spanish family, I talk to them in Spanish. If it's an elder woman, you know, in a wheelchair or whatever, I, I, I walk around them and I'm like, ah, I have a new name for you, my child. From this day forward, you shall be known as Hot Wheels. And they like, <laughs> they melt. Then they want a picture. If you melt grandma and grandma wants a picture, the whole family's getting a picture. Like, oh, you have merchandise? Oh, you have rosaries? Oh, this is lovely. Let me get a rosary. Johnny, you want a shirt? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's how it goes. When you were younger, you said that you were a creative person. You liked to draw did you ever like to perform? Did you do school plays or anything like that? No? Never. I was always too chicken shit. Okay. Always too afraid to worry what people thought. Yeah. You know, I might screw up. Oh, my God. Oh, no, 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 no. So I was able to, with, with the pen and paper, you can erase the screw-ups and you can present the final product right there. You can't edit reality. The drawing is on your own time, too. You can take as long as you want with it. Tell me how you became a union electrician. What were the choices that led you to that? Last year was the best buy was 2006. I had just turned sober and I had applied to Verizon to be a, you know, a telephone guy. Mm -hmm. And I took the test, very hard test. Basically you get 60 minutes to do all these questions and it's timed and you're not going to answer every question. It's impossible to finish this test. It's basically under pressure, under time to see how you think. I'd say about a hundred people came, only 12 passed. It's one of those hard tests. And mm -hmm. once you get to Verizon, it's a good gig in Verizon. They have fantastic insurance. And uh, when you climb telephone poles, they teach you how to climb telephone poles. You know, they teach you how to gaff, which the hooks that they put on the boots and you can climb up the pole, whatever, do your thing. So I went through all that, <clears throat> became a tech, the installation and maintenance, and then they wanted to make some cuts. So they got rid of 330 techs in New Jersey. I was part of that cut. We're about to have a kid. My wife's like, dude, you need to talk to my father. He's like, sits on the e-board. You got to take the test and pass it and blah, blah, blah. So I went there, did the interview. I was already in the international because Verizon, by contract, they have to have a union representative. So I was already in the IBEW for four years with Verizon. And so I transitioned over into the IBEW. I started my apprenticeship from there. And at that time is when Father Evil went from a $20 costume to a more serious outlook. I'm still doing that, but my name has grown within the local big time. For instance, when you go to a new job or if your time is up with one and you get laid off, you, you go back to the hall. The hall is what they call it. You know, basically, they'll get you in the next job for your next tour. And the business agents like to send pictures of Father Evil to the job site 
saying, this is who you're getting on Monday. And they were like, are you effing kidding me? And I'm like, no, it is not going to come like that. That's what he does on weekends. He's actually pretty well known. They introduced me like that. So so you tell me if Father Eva has taken over or not. Right. The business agents for a union electrician are sending that one of your personas to your next job. Did you ever know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yes, but I didn't know how. I always wanted to be, you know, I'm not going to lie. I want to be rich. Sure. What's wrong with that? I want to not have to worry about money ever. I have a nice house. I want a nicer house. I want water around me all around. I'm a water baby. I'm Cuban. I mean, hello. We need the beach. We need that salt water. It's it's zen for me. It's so therapeutic. So I need that. So, you know, I just lost my train of thought. When I just think of that, it just gets me there. I understand. I asked if you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I always wanted to because I wanted to own all the things, but you need money to do all that shit. And lots of money. And it, it sucks that in the United States you need all this money, but it is what it is. It's our reality. Deal with it. Sink or swim. I remember before I started my own business, I mean, I'm talking five, six, seven years before the thought fluttered through my head. And I literally said to myself, well, what could I sell that anybody else would want to buy? I I had no idea that that I had value to give or to share because I had always worked for other people. And then several years later, I got laid off from a job that did not fit me well at all. And I started to do some freelance work. I thought, oh, wait, wait, I could do this. And now it's been 15 years. My, my marketing agency is 15 this year. So my baby turned 15. I'm curious because it's, it's much the same for you. You started this thing where you unleashed your inner self, but you also started a business. Other people starting to like it. I started to getting what would be considered, pun intended, a cult following on Facebook. Yeah. Because I posted cool pictures. You know, I took pictures. I know I taught myself how to do all those edits yeah. that you see in my photos. And I got better and better through the years. And people have, you know, like, oh, and then they see me at a con and this, this, that, and the other. And I give them a show and I develop a following. So I said, you know what? Maybe people will like shirts or whatever. So I had a, my wife for one year. She For Christmas, she got me my own website. And then I became ordained. And then I applied for a copyright and trademark of a look. And I got, oh yeah, I own this look. Wow. I own the look. That's amazing. Uh, Good for you. So I got to the Library of Congress. I got my piece of paper. It's Father Evil, blah, blah, blah. I've got a stamp from the Library of Congress. It's legit. And I literally own the look. But it's gotten to the point right now, I'm already established in the horror scene. It's done. Hi, are you loving this conversation with Lou as much as I am? If you've got any horror fans in your world, I would be grateful, and they might be too, if you'd share it with them. On Android phones, the share button looks like a less than sign with a circle at each point. And on iPhones, it's an arrow pointing out of a square. Just tap that icon and you can send this episode across the country or around the world. All right, now back to Lou, Father Evil, who tells us how he engages with his fans and what his ultimate goal is. You could try to emulate Father Evil, but people will call you out. The fans will call you out. Look what they did with the remake or the reimagining of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that they have on Netflix. The fans destroyed it. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) Just 
destroyed it. Absolutely, completely, and utterly destroyed it. There were some great kills. And a uh, picture like the way most fans are with Obi-Wan or the mm-hmm. Star Wars. Movie, now you're talking about language. Yeah. <laughs> that with a chainsaw instead. Okay. And the hero is not really a hero. He's a homicidal maniac that could watch, you know, carve people in half with the chainsaw. That's our Star Wars. You know, it's kind of... <laughs> okay. It, it's effed up, but it is. Yeah. Um, even at the convention in Texas, the one that I just mentioned, Leatherface was there, and there was a fan who was on the elevator. He goes, you know, you did a great job, but the movie sucked. Literally to his face. To his face. <laughs> and the guy's like, it's because you're you're a Texas chainsaw elitist or purist. Sure. You know, nobody's better than Gunnar Hansen. And so your fans feel the same so, about you. They they feel that commitment to that love of that fandom of your they, character. They capture the essence. The essence is me. I am the right. essence. Right. Cannot be re- reclaimed or repeated. It's the soul. It's the facial expression. It's everything. It's the ad lib that I do on the spot. Some of the stuff is scripted. Most of the stuff isn't. What I mean by scripted, I see there's a couple of things that I say to you first time I ever meet you, just to get into your head. Once mm-hmm. it gets into your head, everything is unscripted, and I go off of you know ad lib. I have this page, this Father Evil page, my main page for, for Facebook, aside from my regular profile, and it has these analytics on it, and it tells me the ages of most of my fans. Mm-hmm. Most of them are males between 36 and 50, and women between 36 and 50. So I look at that, I'm like, okay, so I know who to mess with at a certain age, whatever, and <laughs> especially Southern women. They, they have this Southern bell type thing to them. And I'll walk up behind one of them, I'm like, I saw you sitting last night. Please continue. And they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> just, they just melt. And like almost every southern woman that i've done that to they're like oh. <laughs> you can see them <laughs> and then i just get in their head I, one of my scripted lines is uh, i'll go up to a kid or to a woman and i'm like do you know where i live under your bed <laughs> and yeah that's, that's one way to get in somebody's head and that's one way that i do it i mean like that's the voice that i use or uh, i use this for a big dude biggest dude you can see this is my go-to a line for them it's time to come home, child. I love you. I love you more than Christ. When I say that, like, oh, <laughs> we've been waiting for you. We've always been waiting for you. Come home. Come home. And the first time you see a guy with possessed eyes, dressed like a priest with these bushy sideburns and his cross and this music that's playing around him because i play church music as i'm walking around you experience me yeah and the first time you see like holy shit and i got you i got you i can attest to it because i went to my first horror convention in march and that's where we initially met our mutual friend Corey introduced us and you create an entire scene an entire setting you move with your own it's almost like a bubble of your own scene i bring you into my world yeah you're in it the instant our eyes look you're enveloped it's done you're in it now you're in it now you're in my personal hell and i'm going to torment with you and deal with you the way i see fit it's amazing yeah so 10 years now i've been doing it and 
some people took some umbrage, you know, like uh, they were like, like, oh, well, you're, you're charging people for pictures now? I'm like, yeah, I am. You used to take it for free. I know, used to. That's the key word, used to. Oh, I'll just go off somewhere else. Good luck finding another father either. Only one, baby. I'm what has to happen for you to go from where you're at now to giving up Lou and electrician and... Well, let me get to that. Like, my goal is to New Orleans ghost tours. <gasps> wow. Walk with the father. My goal now is to become a tourist attraction in a very unique, mysterious, dark yet incredible city, New Orleans. It's been calling me ever since my second visit. My, th my third visit, we did a show down there for Hong Kong Nola. And we went down there and I did an impromptu photo shoot on Bourbon Street as Father Evil. And the crowd that I drew was pretty intense. And people were loving this. I'm like, okay, I know I can do it here. I know I can do a ghost tour, walk with the father ghost tours. I even have the picture already. It's going to be something similar to this where I'm taking my hand out, reaching out to you. You walk with me, and I will tell you the story of the spirits that stand around you right now at this very moment. You know, and I know how to sell a story. I sure do. I know how to sell a story. I know how to get into your head. And once I do that, I'm just telling you the story. I'm, you know, it's the same story everybody else tells, but my flavor. Right. And I know I could do a killing down there because every person that I've told that to who's from the area, say it without a doubt, you're going to make killer money if you bring Father Evil to New Orleans. For the sure. Goal, the goal is this, to do what I do at a convention every day. How can I do that? How can you have a steady flow of people around you like a convention? Hmm. Go to a touristy area. Where? Where? Hmm, let me think where. Oh, it involves horror, this horror lore, voodoo, religion. Huh, New Orleans. Perfect. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Perfect. Done. That's the goal. Okay. So, for a fact, I will succeed at that. It's, it's this attitude, this force, this possession, if you may, that drove me to this point. And it got me here. It cemented me here. I'm in the scene. I've made waves as far as Hollywood. There's some people in Hollywood who know who I am. I'm not going to mention names because it's certain, I'm not going to any names, but yet certain people within the horror genre know who I am. I made enough waves and I made enough noise where I'm at in Jersey that people are looking, hey, who, who the fuck is this guy? And I grew it organically amongst the people and people love that. You know, because I grew it around them. Like, I felt since you were in a $20 costume, dude, keep on going. They feel like a part of your story. Yeah, true. The folks who've known you a long time are, are rooting for you, are doing everything they can to facilitate and help you. Everybody loves a feel-good story. Yep. Everybody does. And they're like, wow, this guy was a drunk, and look what he turned his life around to. It all comes from a decision, you know? You have to reflect yourself. I gave up one demon for another one. <laughs> <laughs> How was it giving up drinking? I know you said your wife put her foot down and, and gave you the, the ultimatum, the impetus, but how, how was that for you? What was your thought process around stopping? It was easier than I thought. I'm like, you know what? No, I want a family with her. You know, I always wanted a kid. Always did. Always, always, always. I always wanted to be a father. She's right. I got to straighten out. And I did. 
wasn't tough. What would be tough is losing her. And I went to three AA meetings. I'm like, I really don't need this. I could do this on my own. You know, I have strong enough fortitude. And she even offered, you know what? If you want me to go sober, I'll go sober too. Just for us. And I'm like, why am I going to punish you for my weakness? How? Mm-hmm. You keep on drinking. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can deal with it. And that was it. It's been our lives ever since. That's fantastic. Tell me how you feel about aging as a guy looking at 50. It's putting a rush on certain things. You know, it's putting the fire up my ass because I want to be at a certain spot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Time's a ticking. <laughs> and I want to be at a certain position in my life. Yeah, it's gotten me this far. I never thought I'd take it this far that fast. But mm-hmm. now I have the mindset. I know the navigation. I know the field now. I know where I got to look and I know where I got to go. So got time to make some moves. Let's go. Let's go. Move. Make this happen today. It's no more lollygagging. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll be 60. Get going, dude. Let's go. It profoundly changed my outlook on life when I read this. Something snapped in my head. It was a quote from Henry Rollins. Basically, long story short, there's no such thing as downtime, no such thing as part-time. All you have is lifetime. Go. There is no downtime. You're not going to get that time back. Right. Do it now. Right. Why not? Why not follow your passion? Why not follow your dream? Who's to say you can't? You don't know it until you try. Yes. That's where the insanity comes in. Because if I was mathematically inclined or a little bit more sane i'd be like man what are the odds of a nobody with no movie becoming famous enough to be known nationwide and other parts of the world what are the odds of that happening just from generically taking pictures and meeting people and doing conventions what are the odds of becoming somewhat famous and making a business out of that really it's it's stacked against you yeah it it really is Horror people are very hard to please. They're very hard to please when it comes to horror. You got to capture the imagination or else they're going to call you out. You know, you got something original. They need to be like, wow. And to me, horror means differently than to other people. To me, horror is unnerving. It's uncomfortable. You look at me like, oh, shit. That shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be there. That's why Father Evil, in a Catholic priest costume. I'm I'm a possessed Catholic priest. The second biggest religion on the planet. Right. Okay. You're not supposed to see that. It's taboo. What are you doing? It's jarring. Yeah. That's what it gets in your head. It gets in your head. It stays there. It's creepy. It stays and it grows. That's the horrors to me, and that's how I, that's how I approach, and that's why I've gotten to where I am. You did say earlier that you got ordained. Tell me about the weddings. <laughs> 2013, it became ordained. Didn't do really anything with it till really the last three years. And now, when I do a wedding, most of the times, the, it's the bride. It's the bride's idea. It was always the bride's idea. And I always give an interview to my clients, and I'm like, do you, you realize that the wedding day is always a Traditionally, and always will be the bride's day. It's her day to shine. Mm-hmm. Do you realize I'm going to outshine you on your day? Are you ready for that? They're like, yeah, that's what we want. I'm like, because your guests will remember me more than your dress. Are you ready for that? You you know how I am at a con. I'm going to yep. bring the same atmosphere, the same energy that I do at a con, but in a wedding scenario. And it blows them away. <laughs> so funny. 
It was a real deal wedding. Everybody's suits and talks. The people were dressed nice. The scenery was magnificent. It was at a castle type environment in Pennsylvania, a chateau type of environment, rolling grassy hills, beautiful, you know, great for pictures and stuff. And here walks in this guy with his own music. And I'm walking around and I walk around with this scowl on my face, like, and they're looking at me and I'm like, I just stare at them and I just give them a little smile. And I'm like, yes, I'll be doing the service. They're like, can we have a picture? I'm like, come here, my child. Embrace thee. And then when I say that, I'm like, oh, he's cool. But I'll take the pictures. And all of a sudden, everybody's taking pics. And then the ceremony starts and I go do my routine. I go through my actual service, take pictures afterwards, hang out at the reception if they pay for that. You know, just stare somebody down, you know, and they love it. And I turn, you know, taking pictures for free into a wedding. It's great. I mean, it's really great. This is an important day and they're inviting me into their important day. Right. Better give them a show. You better give them a show because hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And if it's her wedding and you fuck that up, you better give them a good show, dude. Right. So give her the best show possible. Make her granny at the at the reception, you know, look at granny laughing. Oh my gosh, she's having a great time. Make that memory, you know, and they'll always remember that, you know. Now the little kids were at first afraid of you, now they're sitting on your lap taking pictures and like, oh, and you're making the scary faces. They love that. But that's what I do at the weddings. You know, once yeah. once I break the ice, it's a, it's a wrap. You said they love it. Tell me about how you feel doing it. Oh, God. You're inviting me into your special day. What do you think? It's it's a very sacred day for you, for the person, for the couple. I mean, holy shit, they're going to a serious thing, and they're inviting you into it. They're actually paying you into it. It's a responsibility. That's the way I see it. It's a responsibility. I have to give them something memorable or something they'll cherish. But you also, at the same time, get to give them your true self. Yes, but I'm also looking at it at a business standpoint. Of course, of course. You imagine you had to bring Lou, the electrician, to the wedding versus your absolute true self. Two different, yeah, well, probably, like, actually is my true self, I guess, in a sense. When I become him, he's nothing Lou is at all. I know it's right. kind of crazy talking about it because it's the same person. It's just contacts and makeup. But when I put those contacts on, it's literally like the Clark Kent effect off the glasses or whatever it's the same thing and i literally become him he takes over one of my very first interviews was with a colleague of mine we've we've worked together for 11 or 12 of my 15 years we've been together a long time she started doing roller derby in in her 30s and of course, for roller derby, you have to create a persona. It's the costume and it's the makeup and it's the name and it's all of those things. And she really found that creating that persona, it ended up being more her than the everyday her who was afraid of owning some of those more outlandish elements of her personality. She had some transitions around 40 as well, but... You know, these days, if she doesn't have pink or green hair or a full-on mermaid do, then she's due to go to the hairdresser. 
And I had forgotten that she didn't always do that. And so that was a, an interesting conversation, but it, it sounds similar for you. It's like, you know, the persona that you start playing with in your thirties ends up being more you than the straight laced. Literally look at my everyday look. Yeah, I don't get rid of This is not something you peel on or peel off. Right. Real. Always like you have a very unique look. I'm like, I know if you know what I do on a weekend, you'll understand. People who've never seen me before or aren't into horror, they either think I'm a wrestler or in a metal band. Sure, I can see both of those. As I think I told you when we met in March, I, I was never really into horror. I watched horror movies as a teenager. You and I are contemporaries, so you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. I remember seeing those. But sometime in the 90s, I actually think it was the Blair Witch Project. I remember seeing that with a friend and it, it shook me, especially things that are supernatural freak me out because I feel like there's so much of that that I'm open to being real that if it's if there's movies or stories about supernatural things going sideways and being evil and possession and all that stuff, I, I just can't manage it. So, so I'm actually not a, a horror fan, but my friend Corey said, you got to come to this event with me, you know, come see. Cause he is, as you know, 140% in and he's one of us. he is for sure. One of you, but what a wonderful community. You said oh. it's a niche community, but it's niche, but they are mostly zealots, right? They are mostly the, in in any fandom, it's like a, a mountain, right? And so it's like, there's, you know, some casual fans and then a little bit more intense, more intense. And in the top, the peak, the pinnacle of those fans, those most exuberant fans are a smaller portion of the crowd. Whereas with the horror community, what I've seen is it's an upside down, it's an upside down mountain because, you know, much of the community is just that, incredibly exuberant super fan. 100%. So you may have picked uh, a niche, but... Perfect example of what you're saying that, about the love you get within the community. Cosplay Jesus, who's with me. I had a historically accurate Jesus with me. What I mean by historically accurate, I don't mean white Jesus that you see all over. There weren't white people in the Bible. There weren't any Europeans in the Bible. There weren't any Europeans... In first century AD, Middle East, he was brown. Let's be honest. So he's a historically accurate Jesus, and he also happens to be Pentecostal. And I met him in 2014. I met him at Monstamania. He had long black hair, curly hair, and he was dressed as Jesus. And I'm like, wow, he's a historically accurate Jesus. And we took pics, and that was it. We didn't think much of it. We ran into each other again around 2017, and we took some more picks, more professional. And then it hit me. I said, we, I, we could do something with this. That was around 2017. And he's like, ah, I don't know. And he was hemming and hawing. I don't know if it's something I want to do. And never thought of anything of it. He moved to Atlanta, was studying to become a pastor within the Pentecostal community. Last year, he gives me a call out of the blue. He says, hey, I'm moving back to Jersey. I was interested to know that offer you offered me back in 2017. Is that still up? And literally what I said to him, I'll be at this date, at this place, at this time. If you're interested, be there. Click. That was it. He was interested. He got there. 
And then we started doing our thing. He would be like, hello, my child. I'm like, hello, sinner. You know, we'd just play on people. And we would do the battle for your soul photo op. And you basically, you're in the center. And he's on one side and I'm on the other. Or first, we're taking pictures around with you. And then you got to make a decision. Who do you choose? Christ or the Father? And we put you on the spot. And they're like, when I get a picture with them, I do a certain pose or whatever. If they pick Jesus, I'm like, all pissed. You know? And it's fun. They love it. $5 photo op, $5 if either of us by ourselves or kind with the both. And people love it. Anyway, he made a lot of money with me in Texas. The first time I brought him, more so than he ever did at any con. He's made more money doing this stuff, acting with me. This is his own words. And he said he's never seen more love, more acceptance in the horror community, more so than the Pentecostal community or the religious community in general, which is so toxic that he had to leave. And here are all these devils and like these these murderous people who are into their stuff and they're welcoming you open arms and say, man, you're one of us if you want to hang out. You know, we're like that. You know, hey man, it's cool. We're not judging you, man. We don't care about, we don't care if you're gay, fat, skinny, black, white, Indian, Hindu, whatever, be whatever the fuck you want. We don't care. What scares you? This is what scares me. That's that's how we interact. I was really amazed and impressed with the event that I went to in March at just what a wonderful community it really was. Truly nice, welcoming, open people, you know, yourself included. I can see why Corey loves it. I can. And why you love it. What a wonderful thing to fill yourself up with all those weekends a year. I want to thank you so much for coming and spending an hour with me. This has been an amazing conversation and I just think the world of you. I'm so impressed with what you're doing. I'm so grateful that you found the gumption to be who you really are and to bring this character to the world. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our time together today, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you can easily find all my new episodes. Next week, I'm having a really compelling conversation with a woman who turned 40 and decided it was time to have a baby on her own in New York City. Oh, and she's also a mermaid. I'm not kidding. I hope you'll tune in. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.